Uh, as you're grabbing your seat, please open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we are in what I would call the dark days of David's life. Uh, the dark days of David's life. Uh, the fact is, is we all know dark days, don't we? I mean, days where life has been heavy, where life has been hard. It may be that in our own life, uh, sin is crashing in on us. By the way, hi, Cody and Katie. It is great to have you here. <laughs> um, and uh, we know what dark days are. It might be that life outside of us is crashing in on us. And we know what that is. And last Sunday, Pastor Nate just so well just walked us through chapter 11 and a just a dark, I, I love the way he termed it, very depth of word, icky situation with David's life and so true, so heavy. He titled it The Royal Train Rack. And so fitting of that. Today is I'm titling The Royal Takedown. Last week was the darkness of his adultery and his murderous activities. Today the Lord is going to step in and the Lord is going to lovingly uh, take David face down. Uh, just so you know, next Sunday we're going to have a conversation. I said October the other week. October is just some heavy subjects that we're dealing with as we're coming through uh, this series. And so next Sunday is the Sunday I'm going to step out of kind of the norm. I'm going to talk about, so what's with the multiple wives thing that's going on in, uh, in the Old Testament? We're going to have a conversation on that. And then the Sunday after that, we'll be back in the latter half of chapter 12 when Actually, David and Bathsheba, the child dies. And I'm just going to take a little bit of time in that. And I'm going to really focus the majority of the time on what does scripture have to say? Or what, how can we get hope and help on this subject, this hard, heavy subject of a child that dies? And uh, we're going to then take that. And then the Sunday after that, actually, Pastor Chris is going to take us and just a large chunk of text uh, dealing with really Absalom and uh, just an adult child that goes off the rails and all the heavy of that kind of there's some serious subjects here and heavy subjects in this month the way it all just kind of works out and yet in it uh, we don't want to just bring heavy subjects we want to bring heavy help and hope uh, and so that is paired along with it all and something I find so interesting about God's word is and God's word put some dirt on the table. I mean, God's word put some dirty lives on the table. I mean, think about it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah, is made reference that he is the one. He is the promised son of David, son of Abraham. And yet we are given in scripture some, some dirt about David. <laughs> Last Sunday, chapter 11, we're given some dark dirt about uh, Abraham as well. And, and that's so kind of contradictory to how we do legacy things today. You know, legacy building of famous people, politicians, whatever it might be. We we kind of end up doing this thing where we take all the, the dirt and we deny it and we hide it and we cover it and we put it all away and we bring out the, the happy, the bright moments, the biggest moments of life that we all can rejoice over them, that they were alive on the earth. And yet all of us end up going like, yeah, but my life's kind of dirty. And here's the thing I love about God's word. God's word is so genuine and so real that God's word puts dirt on the table. 
so that we can be able to see it and we can get help and hope from it. And even the darkness of David's life is on the table for us to be able to get some help and hope. By the way, I would note the very last sentence of chapter 11, as Pastor Nate referred to last Sunday, but the thing, or I would say maybe the plural, the things that David had done displeased the Lord. I mean, you want to know about David? There you go. David had times of life where he was a grand displeasure to the Lord. And I got to tell you, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. You may think, oh, Doug, he's got his act together. Oh, talk to my wife. Two reasons I think why God's word puts the heavy on the table. One is because it tells us that David is not the promised redeemer. Pastor Nate brought that in last week. We love to, we have this thing in us where we want to worship humans. We want to view them as the ones who will carry us. And yet it's made very clear. Chapter 11 helps us understand David is not the Messiah. Um, Secondly, David is broken big, and yet David is used big by God. And the fact that David is broken big and used big by God gives me hope and gives us hope. And knowing that fact just helps us to understand that, my goodness, if God can use a royal train wreck like David... God might even be able to use royal train wrecks like us. And so we lean into that. And instead of looking at this and going, and I'll just say, I'm going to be really honest with a number of things today with it. Not like I'm lying in the other times, but just it's, it's heavy today. In that. Um, I'm just putting on the table the fact here that if you look at David and you go, my goodness, I mean, the dude was like a sexual predator and a murderer. I want to have nothing to learn from him. I have, there's nothing I can hear from him. I just want to honestly put on the table, lovingly put on the table, get over your self-righteousness because you and I are broken too. And we are that man. Okay? So let's be sensitive to the Lord because in this there is hope and help from what is on the table. Let me start chapter 12, first sentence. You interact with me, even you online. Interact because I can hear you. <laughs> interact online. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1, first sentence. And who? The and the Lord sent who? Nathan. To who? And the Lord sent Nathan to David. The word sent is used some 10, 11 times in chapter 11. It's used, David did some sending. It's actually Bathsheba sent something. We have Joab sent some things. We have 10, 11 times where the the word is kind of the key verb. Maybe I could say it that way in chapter 11. And I think it's building towards this as the author is writing this. And then all of a sudden it comes to chapter 12. And we have this sentence that now Yahweh's doing some sending. David sent, Bathsheba sent, Joab sent. Now it's time for the Lord to send. That's the type, kind of thing where you're like, uh-oh, right? Principal's office uh, kind of a thing. But, but wait a second. Let me, let me... The first sentence of chapter 12 is a statement that screams grace. 
God just could have gone, oh my goodness, David, are you serious? You did all that? I'm out with you. Boom, gone on your own, man. Suffer on your own. No, no, no. But the Lord sent Nathan. And, and it is not to do a takedown to crush David. Oh, there's a, there's a crushing reality when it comes to facing sin like this. And then he sinned. But it is ultimately, the Lord is stepping in here with Nathan. Might we say it really to raise David to a place where like David can continue on with the Lord and the Lord using him. It doesn't remove consequences. We'll see that at the end of uh, the reading that we have today. But, but friends, uh, I think sometimes we think of God's grace as just like a calm, beautiful breeze. And, and it is. I love it. It's like, <sighs> yeah, I'll turn it this way. It's kind of like God's grace we can picture as like a, a divine shot of Febreze. <laughs> right? You know, it's kind of like this room's a little bit, nah, I could use a shot of something nice. <sighs> Grace. Um, I like all that, and I think there's truth in that. But let me add something that likely, end of January, I'll be leaning into a little bit more. Grace is tenacious. I could even say God's grace is ferocious. God's grace is unrelenting. God's grace goes after. And that's a good thing. I mean, grace, God's goodness, God's favor, it is tenacious and ferocious, and it goes after. Like, like, like for instance, uh, the flood in Genesis, uh, God... I would say, in his grace, holds back his judgment for some hundred years. Well, God had to do that so Noah could build the boat. No, listen, God could just drop the arky arky in a nanosecond, okay? He could just put it right there, all on board, go. But God gives a hundred years. You look at the text, part of the reason for that is that Noah uh, would be able to proclaim Yahweh. And it is a hundred years of God's enduring, I would say, tenacious grace that any would repent and come to him. I think of Egypt and, and, and the plagues that God pours out on Egypt. I would suggest that, yes, is there a judgment? Sure, there is a judgment. But also, in the fact of it all, there is this grace. The, the, these these uh, putting on of these plagues is actually like God even loves the Egyptians who are holding the Hebrews in slavery for some 400 years, and God puts his ferocious, tenacious grace on them. Why? That they might turn. I would even add that uh, Jonah, what a self-righteous dude, man. Like, we would never be like this. Like, like we, we would never think that some people aren't worth it to hear the good news of the Lord. And so God, I would say, in his grace, brought like a 
ginormous fish whale and said, you know what? In my grace, I'm going to sit you in that whale. I'm going to give you a timeout for three days for you to think about your self-righteous, bad, sinful attitude. That was a grace act. And we could go on, God putting, uh, the Lord Jesus putting Saul, who's headed on his way to persecute people, and Jesus showing up and putting him face down in the gravel road. That was an act of grace, friends. And God's grace, yeah, it's a Febreze. (sighs) But there is a tenacious, ferocious reality of it that goes all the way to being nailed to the cross. And David is mired in his sin. And God goes after him because he loves him. Point number one, grace is after us. Chapter 12, first sentence. Grace is after us. The Lord sent Nathan to David. John 3.16, the field goal verse. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent, that he graced his son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, whosoever, Jonah. Ephesians 2, though you were dead in your sins upon sins, and dead people can't make themselves alive. Verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, rich in grace, tenaciously came, and by grace you are saved. Grace is after us to redeem us, to restore us. Truth number two, Sin is after us. Sin is after us. Before I read uh, most of the text of our text today, let me read two passages. Romans 7, 21 to 25. Paul says this of himself. I believe Paul is talking about himself as a redeemed follower of Christ, and he's talking about the war that goes on in him. Listen to this. Uh, Romans 7, 21 to 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lows close at hand. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, I want to do right. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Like, I love God. Like, I delight in God. But then I see in my members another law, waging war against the laws of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God, Paul says, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Man, don't you just get tired of sin? It's like, leave me alone. I heard someone once say, man, it would just even be nice if we could just like switch sin issues for a week. I'm just tired of my own sin. Can we just like swap them for a little bit? You know, but it's like this battle of it all. It just goes on and on. One more passage, James 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Man, now there's the winner question, right, Holmes? 
Answer, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. Oh, David. You covet. Oh, David. Because you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. By the way, then verse 6, chapter 4. But God gives more grace. Verse 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord. The royal battle takes place in chapter 11. David saw, David sent, David took, David murdered, but God in his tenacious, loving, ferocious grace says, Nathan, I'm sending you. Let's have a conversation with David and let me read that. And the Lord sent Nathan to who? Nathan came to David and said to David, David, by the way, I want for you to know, it does not say that Nathan says a parable. Uh, was it a parable? Was it a real situation? I don't think that's important, but I think as we get along, we'll find out that David, I think, sees it not as a parable, but sees it as a real situation. Remember, David is a king, commonly making judgment calls on situations like this. David, there were two men. How many men? There were two men in a certain city. Uh, the one rich, the other poor. Oh, by the way, David knew what poor was and David knew what rich was. Verse two, the rich man had very many flocks and herds. How, how many flocks and herds? Very many of them, like lots. Verse three, but the poor man had nothing. But one little ewe lamb, one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup, David, and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him, David. Now, David, there came a traveler to the rich man. And the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. By the way, which would have been the normal, common, courteous, hospitable thing to do in that day. But, but look at the next words. But the rich man took... I'm telling you, that's coming from out of chapter 11. And the rich man, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So what do you think, David? And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the rich man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Bowser. The core emphasis here um, has to do with sin. Let me continue. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Hey, you know those moments, which we all do, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult, 
where you thought you got away with it? And holy moly, you get called out. You know that moment where all of a sudden it's like all the blood just like disappeared in your system. And you're just like, oh, oh, my life is ruined. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. And he goes on, thus says the Lord David, the God of Israel, David, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And David, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. That's interesting. And gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, I would add to you as much more. Like David, if you need uh, the Lord to list more things, uh, he's got that. Verse nine, uh, David, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and has taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Man, can you just imagine David? Now therefore the sword shall uh, never depart from your house because you have despised me. And you have taken your wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus the Lord says, David, behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, S-U-N, for uh, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. As I noted, uh, so much of this is Talking about sin, I think uh, today, because of that, I, I want to focus. There's some things for us to learn. Six truths. Six truths about the sin that is after us and what it does in us. Truth number one sin makes callous. Sin makes callous. In verse four, the rich man is unwilling to take from his own flock. So he takes from the, four, the poor man's flock. Like, what's with that? Seriously, dude. Like you've got all these flock and you go and you take one of the you out of, out of yours to feed for this, to be hospitable about, hospitable about this to this traveler. And it's, and it's like, no, no, no. Like you don't have enough. Like you gotta go take the one from the guy who doesn't have stuff. Like really, dude, how callous is that? And is it not callous? I mean, come on, man. Friends, sin makes callous because sin is callous. Greed makes callous because greed is callous. Gossip makes callous because gossip is callous. Anger makes callous because anger is callous. Coveting makes callous because coveting is callous. Cursing makes callous because cursing is callous. Lust makes callous because lust is callous. Bitterness, selfishness, 
makes callous because bitterness and selfishness, it is callous because you see, it's just all about me or it's all about what I didn't get or what I think I should have got or how you treated me. And yet I can relate to all of these. You too? And I go on. Complaining makes callous because complaining is callous. Jealousy makes callous because jealousy is callous. A critical spirit makes callous because a critical spirit is callous, as does a withdrawing spirit. As, by the way, I'm going to put it on the table. As, by the way, does our reality today with so much media, uh, uh, too much news makes callous. Too much Facebook makes callous. Too much Twitter makes callous. Too much Instagram makes callous. Too much movies just make callous. I mean, seriously, how many cuss words are okay? How much nudity is okay? Because that's what we do. Sin makes callous. Secondly, sin makes heinous. Verses five and six, David's own response to the sin of the rich man is one of, How heinous of a crime is that? How wicked is that? How abominable is that? And it was. And so was David's sin. And by the way, and so is your and my sin. Sin makes heinous because sin is heinous. Loved ones, we see sin way too small. I'll just say, loved ones, I see sin way too small. We see sin as oopsies. We, we see sin as like, you know, we're all broke, so like, what do you expect? And, and there, is a, there is a reality to that. But, but in it, we, we, we can't even call sin, sin anymore. We, we've got to put other names to it. So it's not as heinous. So it's more palatable. Sin is heinous. Uh, Doug, how heinous is sin? I'm glad you asked. Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne. Unredeemed sin results in eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. That's pretty heinous. Sin makes callous, sin makes heinous. Third, sin makes blind. Verses five and six, David declares the heinousness of the rich man's sin. (laughs) All while David is mired in his own. Isn't that so us? You know, like, I mean, here David is like, been like this sexual predator and this murderer. And then this guy steal a poor man's lamb. And David's like, that dude needs to die. 
And we do it all the time. Sin makes blind. Sin makes callous, sin makes heinous, sin makes blind. Because sin is callous and sin is heinous and sin is blind. Fourth, sin makes forgetful, verses seven and eight. Here's sent by God, Nathan. Not only makes clear who the guy in the story is, David, you're the man, but informs David how David has forgotten all of what God has done for him. So it's like a little memory moment for David. Uh, The Lord is saying, hey, David, let's reason here for a minute. David, I anointed you to be king. Dave, do you remember when you were that young man and your dad didn't even invite you into the room to be run before Samuel? And I'm like him. David, you see, I anointed you to become king. Uh, David, by the way, over that 10 years or whatever length period of time, that whole debacle where Saul's always just chasing after you, trying to take you out in that dark days with Saul. Listen, David, I'm the one who spared your life during all that time. And David, I gave you all the king's prior things. I gave you the southern kingdom. I gave you the northern kingdom. I gave you all. And David, if you want to have me list a whole much more of stuff on what I did, I can easily do that, David. And yet sin forgets. This rich guy just had to have theirs. His wasn't enough. And all that God had given David and some of the, and David's like, no, I got to have her. Sounds like the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. I mean, God puts Adam and Eve on heaven on earth. I mean, it's like, I don't know what it was, but I just know this, it was awesome. And in that, and God says, uh, I give you a directive, and, and God's even presence is like walking with them, and they got heaven on earth. And God says, the one thing, just, just stay away from that. Okay. But no, no, no. You forget about all this, you got to have that one thing. Adam, Eve. Like, Really? You know, and then it's even interesting in our day and age. We will argue, why did God do that? And it's like, it's all in it. It's like, God gave them everything. He says, just, just don't do that. And Adam and Eve bit it. They just had to have one more thing. So forgetful of what God had provided. Five, sin makes despised. The text says that, verses 9 and 10. Sent by God, Nathan, then asked David a question. David, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David, you knew, you knew that was what the Lord said, don't do. And David, not only did you despise his word, but the text goes on, and you have despised me, the Lord. Hey, friends, sin's personal with the Lord. Like, it matters. It's like relationship. 
And when we add these up, sin makes callous and sin makes heinous and sin makes blind and sin makes forgetful. We get, come down to despise and we get to that point and we're like, you know, Nathan, aren't you just being really harsh on David here? And the answer is no, because it's not Nathan ultimately who's the one who's speaking. It's God himself is the one who's speaking. Friends, might it be that you and I are just seeing sin way too lightly? Because the reality is, is when you and I choose greed or gossip, coveting or cursing or bitterness or anger or lust, when we choose to judge others, when we choose to be selfish, when we choose to complain, when we choose jealousy, when we choose a critical spirit, when we choose to just withdraw, to to pay, to make people feel pain, when, when, when when we allow the exposure of what is not true, what is unhonorable, what is not lovely, what is not commendable, to go before our eyes, to go into our head again and again and again, the fact is, is we are despising the Lord's word and the Lord himself. Philippians 4.8 gives the standard. Finally, brothers, finally, sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Friends, I want to suggest two things. I want to suggest right at this point, number one, this this week, you sit down and you write a list of all the marvelous good things that God has poured out. And you make a massive list and you post it. And you repeat it to yourself again and again and again. Secondly, maybe you need to shut down some media. Because I am concerned in my house and everyone's house. I'm not so, so sure Philippians 4.8 is front and center on our grid of what we look at and here. Lastly, sin makes calamity. Verses 11 and 12. We see in that that just the disaster that is going to come out. By the way, repentance doesn't remove consequences. And it just, some it does, and God in his grace will, will remove, but, but, but it doesn't mean repenting makes everything clean and right. Repentance means I'm going to get after this. And now it begins. Dealing with things. 
And sin brings calamitous consequences. It did for Adam and Eve, it did for David, and it does for us. And David was destroying lives and destroying his testimony and destroying the goodness of God. And David was effectually, if you will, despising God's words and God's goodness and God himself and his sin. And that's catastrophic. And sin is after us. And yet we tend to downplay it. We tend to manipulate it, organize it, structure it, excuse it. And I am that man, and so are you. And yet, friends, God's grace is tenaciously and ferociously and without relent right there in the war. Maybe this morning you're thinking, Doug, you don't know what I've done. Doug, you don't know what I've been doing. Maybe so. But God's grace is tenaciously and ferociously and lovingly and marvelously right there. And the response to close is repentance. Our response must be repentance. Look at verses 13 and 14. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. In Hebrew, it's two words. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You put it away, the Lord puts it away. You shall not die, nevertheless. <laughs> Just in case we think, oh, good, everything, everything gets cleaned up. No, nevertheless, because of by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Oh, Sin makes calamity. But repentance must be our response. Just two words. I have sinned. It's full ownership. Which, by the way, is unlike Saul back in 1 Samuel. And he calls it what it is. I have sinned. No sugarcoating. But I think genuine, authentic, I've been caught and it was wrong. And I have sinned. That's what it is. Not an oopsie. Not a I apologize. No, you see, I have sinned. And it notes, I have sinned against the Lord. 
By the way, David certainly sinned against Bathsheba. He certainly sinned against Uriah. He certainly sinned against, by the way, all those others who he connived into sending to give, to carry these things out. And even those, he sinned against all those people. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, while those are realities and those are important, when it really comes down to it, it's first and foremost, this is a sin against a holy God who sees sin exactly as it is. And it's bad news. It's not the length of the words. It's not the number of tears, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. It's an authentically genuine broken spirit in seeing sin as it really is. And by the way, you can go home, read Psalm 32, read Psalm 51. You will see that the two words that David states here has a whole pile of reality to it. And I want to finish this way. This is a clearly a big moment of repentance time for David. And I think we have a tendency, which is a good thing, to have to look for big repentance moments. But I would like to put on the table and to leave in your mind this. The Lord loves repentance. When we come to the Lord fully seeing our sin and acknowledging the reality of it, the Lord is not there like, oh, la, 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 Not that. The Lord is like, oh, like the father running to the prodigal son that's returning. Come. Come on, man. In fact, I'm not just going to wait for you to run. I'm running to you. The Lord loves repentance. And with that, it's not one-time repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I would suggest it's continuous. It's a lifestyle. Listen, you come to the Lord through repentance and you continue in the Lord through repentance. People who have repenting as an attribute of their life, look at this and get what's going on. I've got to leave it there because of time. Uh, next uh, year, I'm looking here to do a whole series on growing and changing and what that looks like, extend it on out, and we'll, we'll get more into that. But I just want to say this. Um, the Lord loves you. And he has not given up on you. And maybe there's some things today, this week, that you need to have some face down, take down time with the Lord and repent of. I want to even ask that maybe you would consider every day this week, you take some time and you look over the last 24 hours and you think through how things went, what was going on, and you repent. Because repenting is a pattern of life. We're not talking about losing your salvation. We're talking about keeping current with the Lord. 
So many more things I want to say, but we need to finish there. God, thank you so much for how good you are and for your kindness and for your grace poured out, laid out, abounding, excelling, undeserved. And it's there. Or maybe there's someone this morning who is in a place to where they've never really come to that place where they've just repented of the fact that they are bound in sin and doing life on their own and they're in need of a Savior. And now they need to repent and come and receive Christ. That is the case. I pray, God, do that. Lord, I would imagine there are some in this room that have some heavy sin burdens going on in their life. Um, We're not talking about the person next to them. We're talking about each of us. There's got to be some people in this room that are right now, maybe they have some hidden sin like David. That it's time to get taken down and face down before you. May they be reminded Your grace is there. Callous knees are a good thing. Callous hearts are not. God, thank you that you could love on, work through, broken guy like David and even have his name associated with our Savior. And that gives us hope. I pray we leave that way this morning filled with hope. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In church family, it is with the hope of our tenacious, ferocious, gracing God that we leave this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.